When I was in high school, I drove a gold 1965 Pontiac GTO to school each weekday. When I was 16, there was a major earthquake that destroyed much of the freeway system between my school and my home. The normally 35-minute drive turned into an hour of winding through foothills on a dirt road instead of driving on highly elevated freeway overpasses that rose above those foothills. But they were gone now. One of my friends lived halfway between my home and my school. One Wednesday afternoon, I gave him a ride home from school. When we pulled up to his house, there were about 10 or 12 cars parked outside. When I walked inside, I was blown away. I'll get back to this. Let's call my friend, Steve. Our model of Christianity consists of coming to a beautiful church every Sunday. But the first fully documented building dedicated as a standalone church is a house that came into Christian possession in the 240s and was then converted into a formal church. In Rome, there's evidence that early Christians met in warehouses, but this is somewhat after New Testament times. The first properties that were known to be owned by the Roman church were the catacombs, which were burial sites outside the city walls, and again, this was long past New Testament times. So from the perspective of reading the New Testament, there were no church buildings. The closest we can find in the New Testament to Christians meeting anywhere other than someone's home is an Acts, where people met in the courtyard around the temple. Here's what we read. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This does give us an intriguing view of the very early church. These followers of Christ apparently shared their worldly possessions. They presumably met in the courtyard because none of them owned a home large enough to hold all of them at once. But they apparently met in smaller groups in homes to have meals together and to praise God. Back then, a church was a group of people, not a specific building. Apparently, where a church met had everything to do with whether or not anyone in the congregation owned a home that was big enough. In Romans, we read this in Paul's greeting to the recipients of the letter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, Asencre, that you may welcome her and the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only 
I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first to convert to Christ in Asia. We read something similar in Paul's letter to Philemon, a believer living in Colossae. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We would presume that Philemon in Colossae and Prisca and Aquila in Rome were wealthy enough to own large homes. And remember, a church was a group of people. Don't think that the early Christians all lived in modest tract homes in pleasant suburbs. How they lived had everything to do with the density of the city in which they lived, and it had to do with their economic status. Consider two environments in which New Testament Christians lived. First, Rome. In the first century AD, Rome boasted a population of around one million. Most of the residents of Rome lived in total squalor. Massive apartment buildings were built throughout the city. They were called insulae in Latin, which means islands. And they were filled with crime and rodents. They were fire traps. In the year 64, there was a massive fire that gutted a large piece of the city. Rome at this time was very ethnically mixed with a significant number of Jews. Individual ethnic groups tended to cluster together in distinct neighborhoods. Somewhere between a third and a half of the population consisted of slaves or recently freed slaves. Interestingly, the poor who had never been slaves were the worst off economically, even though they had always been free. In these Roman apartment buildings, only those living at ground level and who therefore had easy access to shared ground level space could have easily hosted a house church. There's good reason to believe that the early house churches were mixed with respect to economics and social class. And so those with the assets to own standalone housing might well have hosted house churches that served people who lived in cramped apartment buildings. But there were certainly many, many very small tenement churches operating without patronage of wealthy members. For a second look at house churches, let's consider a much smaller city, Pompeii. Its population was probably around 15,000 only a fraction of the population of Rome. Parts of the city were beautifully preserved by a volcanic eruption. In the year 79, Mount Vesuvius erupted, spewing lava, rock, and ash as high as 12 miles. A number of cities were actually buried, and one of them was Pompeii. The site was abandoned, and it was eventually forgotten. It was briefly rediscovered in 1594, but regular excavations 
didn't begin until 1748. What has been revealed is an elegant city arranged in a grid pattern. It was a small, relatively wealthy city, very different from Rome. The city consisted of shops, each with one or two residences above or behind the shops, larger workspaces of two to seven rooms, houses with eight to 13 rooms, and houses that had 25 or more rooms. There were also a small number of even larger villas. Of course, not all the citizens were wealthy. There were many craftspeople there, including stone workers, cabinet makers, and even bar servers. There were many slaves. There's very good evidence that there were house churches in this wealthy, pleasant city. One house that has been uncovered has a room with a wooden cupboard sitting below a cross impression made in the wall. House churches could have met in workspaces, courtyards, and larger homes. One thing to keep in mind is that ancient homes did not consist of simple nuclear families. Many or most homes were multi-generational, and so home churches were very naturally multi-generational as well. So why am I talking about home churches? Today, the church is changing rapidly and in a very big way. Traditional buildings are becoming more and more difficult to finance as congregations dwindle. And the new model of church plantings is not focused on traditional modest-sized church buildings. The new options consist of cafes, pubs, online churches, and home churches, with a sprinkling of very large destination churches that people will drive miles to attend. It's clear that the Achilles heel of the old school church, the traditional church housed in a fancy but smallish building, is the upkeep of that facility. Many churches are busy paying the bills by housing daycare centers and private meetings. Interestingly, the churches that are best able to maintain independent facilities are actually megachurches, ones that are bigger than what we would call a large church, and that take up entire city blocks. They provide high-tech, music-based services that attract huge audiences. These same churches have the space to host special interest groups that meet before, after, and even during services. It might be that in the future, there will be huge megachurches, along with very small churches that meet in non-traditional places, in particular in people's homes, and the occasional larger destination church. The one venue that would support both very large and very small churches is the internet, where people could enter as an avatar and be passive if they want, if it's a mega church, or very active if they want, if it's a tiny church. For those of us who come from a smaller church tradition, the experience of the New Testament Christian may become our experience. 
there are some aspects of ancient home churches that we might find ourselves emulating in the future. These churches, because they shared meals and other worldly assets, were more of a core element of people's lives. They didn't interact with their fellow congregation members on Sunday morning only. They also developed their leaders from within for the most part. Formal clergy didn't start until the second century. And very interestingly, the original home churches were not completely standalone. They networked together and shared duties, including preaching and evangelizing. We don't know if or when there will be another major revival in the Christian church in America, but it's beginning to look like, at least for some significant period of time, there will be a reemergence of the home church right here in our nation. This began to happen all over the world, actually, during the coronavirus period. There were Italians living in densely populated high-rise buildings who, when prevented from attending church on Sunday, would all open their windows at the same time on Sunday and sing. In Africa, where the church has been growing, not contracting, many congregations met in homes in small groups when their churches were closed. In the United States, people who could not go to church buildings would meet in smaller groups to take part in larger online services. This hybrid model of small groups of people holding communion together and bigger groups listening to a sermon online became very popular. Let's get back to my high school friend, Steve. I was raised Catholic but non-Catholic parents would send their kids to Catholic school to keep them out of trouble. So one Wednesday, I drove a friend of mine, Steve, who was Protestant, home from school. There were about a dozen cars parked in front of their long, rambling, ranch-style house. I parked my GTO, and he invited me in. I found about 20 people praying loudly. It wasn't the formal Our Father Hail Mary prayers that I was used to as a Catholic kid. They were free-form prayers, strange to me at the time. It was a home church, part of a larger congregation. The larger church met on Sunday mornings in a warehouse, and the smaller house churches met on Wednesday evenings. In the book of Revelation, we read about seven churches in Asia Minor, now Turkey, to which the author of Revelation addresses letters. These are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. But these were not huge, fancy church buildings. These were small congregations that almost certainly met in people's houses. These letters referenced in Revelation were written to groups of people, not to physical addresses, not to buildings. That's what the New Testament Christian church is all about. People, small congregations meeting in the homes of members. I was a little wigged out at first at seeing Steve's parents on their knees praying with their fellow congregation members. But I often flash back on them when I prepare prayers for the two churches that I serve on Sunday morning.
those people that were meeting in my friend's house, they had no big, ornate, expensive building to maintain. And they were talking directly to God. They were a home church. Mm-hmm. 